Mistakes Were Not Made, An Anthem for Justice by Margaret Anna Alice. The Armenian Genocide was not a mistake. Holdemore was not a mistake. The final solution was not a mistake. The Great Leap Forward was not a mistake. The killing fields were not a mistake. Name your genocide. It was not a mistake. That includes the great democide of the 2020s. To imply otherwise is to give them the out they are seeking. It was not botched. It was not bungled. It was not a blunder. It was not incompetence. It was not lack of knowledge. It was not spontaneous mass hysteria. The planning occurred in plain sight. The planning is still occurring in plain sight. The philanthropists bought the science. The modelers projected the lies. The testers concocted the crisis. The NGOs leased the academics. The scientists fabricated the findings. The mouthpieces spewed the talking points. The organizations declared the emergency. The governments erected the walls. The departments rewrote the rules. The governors quashed the rights. The politicians passed the laws. The bankers installed the control grid. The stooges laundered the money. The DAD placed the orders. The corporations fulfilled the contracts. The regulators approved the solution. The laws shielded the contractors. The agencies ignored the signals. The behemoths consolidated the media. The psychologists crafted the messaging. The propagandists chanted the slogans. The fact-chokers smeared the dissidents. The censors silenced the questioners. The jackboots stomped the dissenters. The tyrants summoned, the puppeteers jerked, the puppets danced, the colluders implemented, the doctors ordered, the hospitals administered. The menticides scripted, the bamboozles bleated, the totalitarianized bullied, the covidians tattled, the parents surrendered, the good citizens believed and forgot. This was calculated, this was formulated, this was focus grouped, this was articulated, this was manufactured, this was falsified, this was coerced, this was inflicted, this was denied. We were terrorized, we were isolated, we were gaslit. We were dehumanized, we were wounded, we were killed. Don't let them get away with it. Don't let them get away with it. Don't let them get away with it. time we can come back to the reasons that that might be occurring there's a lot of discussion amongst the medical dissidents about why that pattern exists and what it implies but yes um, clearly cancers are one of the failure modes of the body and this highly novel technology clearly had that as a risk even if we didn't know what mechanism it would happen um, but yes if you let's say you're a soccer player and you've been injected with uh, this stuff and a bolus of it has hit your heart and caused a bunch of your cells to be destroyed by your own immune system, by uh, cytotoxic T cells and natural killer cells. Well, now you've got a wound. If you manage to survive to have it scar over, then that wound will be less of a vulnerability than it would otherwise be. But if in the period after you've been damaged, before your heart has fully scarred, you were to push yourself to some new athletic limit, now, let's say you're in the middle of a particularly intense game, right? That would be exactly the time when a weakness in a, a vessel wall might cause a, a critical failure and you, you, know, you could die on the field. So this is a very plausible mechanism to explain the pattern of uh, sudden deaths that we have seen oftentimes in people who are unusually healthy and athletic. Yes. Um, so 
go back to the, the original story. Pharma had a potentially uh, tremendously lucrative property that it couldn't bring to market because a safety test would have revealed this unsolvable problem at its heart. And so what I'm wondering, my hypothesis, is that it recognized that the thing that would bypass that obstacle was an emergency that caused the public to demand uh, a remedy to allow them to go back to work and to living their lives that would cause the government to streamline the safety testing process so that it wouldn't spot these things. And indeed, one of the things that we see in addition to uh, a lot more harm in those safety tests than we were initially allowed to understand, um, but also the safety testing was radically truncated so that long-term harms were impossible to detect. So the hypothesis in question is pharma used an emergency to bypass an obstacle to bring an incredibly lucrative technology um, to normalize it in the public and the regulatory apparatus to sneak it by the things that would ordinarily prevent a dangerous technology like this one from being widely deployed. So I think that sounds entirely plausible. Um, in fact, likely, very likely. But the downside for pharma, and of course the rest of us, is that if you roll out a harmful product evading the conventional safety screens, you're going to hurt a lot of people. And then what? So just first part of the question, what do you think we're going to see in terms of a, a death toll and injury toll from this vaccine, so-called? Um, a lot has gone into preventing us from answering that question, and some very dedicated people have done uh, some very high-quality work, and uh, the numbers are staggering. Now, I'm hesitant to say what I think the toll might be because this is not my area of expertise, and um, I would leave it to others. I would say John Campbell would be an excellent source to look at. There's some new material out of New Zealand, which is jaw-dropping. I haven't had time to look at it in depth, so I'm a little um, concerned about putting my weight on the ice. But um, let's say well, here's here's what we here's what we know. Um, Joseph Freeman and his colleagues, including Peter Doshi, did a uh, an evaluation of Pfizer's own safety data from its safety trials. And these trials were absurdly short. In fact, Pfizer only allowed one month before it vaccinated its controls and made it impossible to detect uh, further harms. And what they found was a one in 800 rate of serious adverse event. This is not minor stuff. This is serious harm to health. One in 800 per shot. That's not per person. That's per shot. One in 800 rate, which in one month, that suggests um, a, very, uh, a very high mortality risk. And in fact, we saw mortality in the, in the safety trials. Um, what happens over the long term? We've certainly seen such a range of pathologies that have crippling effects on people's health that um, I, I shudder to think how many people have actually so I'm not a math genius, but one in 800 shots times billions is, you know, a lot of people. Yep. Um, there was uh, a press. I was recently at a conference uh, in Romania on the COVID crisis. And so there was a lot of work trying to unpack what we actually understand. And I saw a credible estimate of something like 17 million deaths uh, globally from this technology. So 17 million deaths from the COVID vax? Well, when you know, when you scale up to billions, uh, it's not hard to reach a number like that with a technology that's dangerous. Now, to your deeper question, I think let's steel man. So just for perspective, I mean, that's like the death toll of a global war. Yes, absolutely. It is, this is a, a, a great tragedy of history. So that proportion. Um, and amazingly, there is no way in which it's over. I mean, we are still apparently recommending these things for healthy children ever stood any chance of 
getting any benefit from every chance of suffering harms that are uh, not only serious, but tragic on the basis that children have long lives ahead of them. If you ruin a, a child's immune system uh, in youth, they have to spend the rest of their presumably shortened life in that state. So never made any sense that we were giving this to kids in the first place. The fact that we're still doing it when the emergency, to the extent there even was one, is clearly over. And um, when there's never been any proper justification of administering it to healthy kids, it just, you know, healthy kids don't die of COVID. Um, and the shot doesn't prevent you from catching or transmitting it. So there was, there was just literally no justification you could come up. But I think a lot of us, um, maybe call us normies, have a hard time imagining the, um, the breathtaking evil that it would take to allow such a tragedy to unfold or to uh, pause it to unfold for profit. I still struggle to imagine. Do too. Um, but think about, think about it this way. Pharma on a normal day is composed of people who have to become, even if they were doing their job exactly right, they have to be comfortable with causing a certain amount of death. Right. If you give a drug to people, if the net effect is positive, but it's going to kill some people who would have lived if they never got it, somehow you have to sleep at night having put that drug in, into the world. And, you know, we want, if we had a healthy pharma industry, we would want them to produce the drugs that had a net benefit. And that benefit includes some serious harms. Um, so, once you have stepped on that slippery slope, though, once you have become comfortable with causing deaths, then I believe it becomes very easy to rationalize um, that the greater good is being served by X, Y, or Z. And then there's some point at which you're causing enough harm and you're, you know, when pharma uh, takes an old out-of-patent drug and um, supersedes it with a new highly profitable drug, they've done something that's negative. We should almost always prefer the older drug unless the evidence is extremely convincing. The new drug is just worlds better because an old drug, we know something about its interactions with other things. We know something yes. about its safety profile. New is not better when it comes to molecules that you're going to be taking into your, your biology. <laughs> um, Fair. But pharma has to be in the business of getting you to take the new and having you distrust the old. And so anyway, I think, I think there's a way in which the rationalization has no limit and they have gotten to the point that they are willing to cause a huge amount of death, apparently. Um, and even at the point that it's been revealed in public, uh, they don't stop, which is another amazing fact. It, you would imagine that they would have been embarrassed into stopping this vaccination program at this point. So the problem, though, I would say for, for pharma and for the politicians who... Uh, support and promote them in the media to do the same is that um, there are people like you who are not crackpots, who are scientists and physicians, longtime researchers with fully credentialed work histories, not too many, but a sizable number who will not let go, who are completely dogged in the pursuit of more data about this. Um, so like, what do they do with you? And people like you. Well, I think the astonishing thing is that a, as you point out, small group of dissidents upended their narrative. Uptake rates on the new boosters are in the low single digits. So a large single digit. Yes. So nobody's taking it. Nobody's taking it. Now, I'm troubled by the fact that at the same time, we don't see... Uh, a massive majority acknowledging the vaccination campaign was a mistake in the first place. They got it and they don't want to think about it. And I get it. I get it. Um, I wouldn't want to think about it either. But the problem is it, it's a moral obligation. I mean, we're still injecting these things into kids, for God's sake. So um, it is important to stand up and say, I was had. And I think all of us were. I, I, I believed that this vaccine was likely effective when it first came out. And the thing that triggered Heather and me to question it was the fact that we were also told that it was safe, which couldn't possibly be true. Might have been harmless, but they couldn't say safe because nobody on earth knew what the long-term impacts would be. Out of Austin, Texas. 
You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Hello, everybody. It's me. We're back in the first of the year, first week of the year. We're not even seven days in. And uh, <clears throat> I have a seasonal cold. That's what I'm calling it. And uh, it's it's quite the uh, the interesting experience. I, I expect to be over this cold shortly. To to the minimal terror of others. <clears throat> so the the weather outside here in Austin is amazing. It's cool and sunny, gorgeous, super happy weather. You know, if you're here in Texas, I hope that you'll um, that you'll take full advantage. So what we were hearing prior to this was the uh, Margaret and Alice. That's what we opened with uh, her narrative illustrating the. The fact that at least confirmed deaths according to the vaccine uptake was about 17 million people. And those numbers are not small. Um, I, I feel sadness and uh, many myriad of, of many things, but um, what's important is that duty requires the governments to, to back away from this. Because the more people they voluntarily kill or throw into the fire, they are losing power every single day with every death. Um, <clears throat> they are endured all despots, and that's what despots do. They just kill their opposition. They're like, oh, the, this opposition's inconvenient. Just kill them. So um, that's that's not cooperative tribal government where the betterment of humanity or humanity is preserved with these strains uh, for the express aims of, of a pure political motive. And, and it becomes impure at that point. It becomes poisonous. And that's why you have to consecutively cut it out. Now, I don't know what it is about the 20th century, 21st century obsession with collective governance. I'm going to have to, to kind of think about that. Um, but what I do want to to volunteer before we get too far out into the future, follow Margaret Ann and Alice was this, um, this narrative or this narration from the Tucker Carlson Network, the new Tucker Carlson Network um, with a doctor, um, Mr. Brett, Weinstein, and he's a very knowledgeable person, um, very, <clears throat> very knowledgeable uh, immunologist, or someone who deals with immunology, <laughs> immunology, excuse me, let me clarify, my education on the production material uh, that I got over Christmas is, is increasing, it's still not perfect, but soon we'll be able to thread um, audio through our microphone, and then get capture recording so that the sound quality of recordings will be much better. So I, I promise you better sound quality into the new year, <laughs> excuse me, as my education increases, but, um, I could not stay away from the news this week. I just couldn't, um, I wouldn't stay in bed. I wouldn't, uh, do what I'm supposed to. I mean, I, I pounded the juice and the, uh, the zinc, but I'm still snuffling and shuffling here with you. So we have also renewed our request to, to see if Sam Cooper will come talk to us about the, the dereliction of duty of police with corruption in, in Canada. I I'm hoping he will do this. Um, I don't know. It's, it seems like certain investigative journalists are very tough to entice to come speak in public. But of course, those are the ones I really want to talk to because they know stuff. And, um, you know, you know, they seem like creatures of the night. 
but they uh, they're still informative. So it's important to, to at least press in and try to try to get them to talk to you. You know, they're scared and they are scary. I don't know how else to place it in, in my but it's good to talk to them because they know stuff. And I'd rather know stuff and be a little bit scared. So <clears throat> moving forward, I just wanted to add a, add some insight. Uh, there is an event oh, before the insight. I'm going to talk to you about this event. Um, Glenn Greenwald is hosting a debate uh, on Rumble between uh, Zero Hedge and Alex Jones. So this is this is like the you know paleo libertarian like back alley fight that you never would otherwise witness. It's going to get super libertarian nerdy and and kind of guttural. So it, it is what you want to see if you're kind of a libertarian wahoo like I am. I really want to view that debate just to see what they could possibly be fighting about today. Um, but it's it's usually like shaving hairs and it, it gets it gets really geeky. And um, so, but the fact that Glenn is moderating it shows me that he's he's trying to to understand, but also add a relevant question to to the mix. It, it's weird to me because I, I think he's just doing out of out of novelty. This is just a guess here, because I'm more of a of an attenuation track towards towards Glenn by default because I'm I don't like listening to shouting at loud volumes so I don't I don't listen to Alex Jones it's not it's not a bias against his his facts but I prefer to read the transcript than listen to him so um <clears throat> so that that'll put you there it's not it's not like a smooth melodic transition it's like barking <laughs> kind of like that um, and that's, I, I, I don't have time, you know, I can listen to, to Tucker, uh, you know, even when he kind of puffs out his little, his little chicken laughs, <laughs> he only, I just, I just figured it out. Like while he was, he was laughing and I was like, what does he sound like? He sounds like a chicken. He sounds like a laughing chicken. And, um, and I'm, I, it's not, a, it's not a criticism. It's just, just what I've noticed, you know, which is fine. It's fine that he sounds like a laughing chicken, but you know, cause I've said that, um, I've said something about, uh, Elon Musk's laughter in the, in the past. Cause he, he, he does this, these micro chortles, Elon Musk. If you listen to him laugh consecutively, like, he, he micro chortles. <laughs> so, I mean, I have my own laugh, of course. Um, but if you pay attention, you will hear the laughter of the people you listen to. Myself included. So I don't want to go long because I'm still, you know, unwell. And I don't want to burden you with too much, too much content. I did quite a um, quite a dump of stuff this week. I really want to get back into more AI and um, medical AI this year. I really want to do some dedicated. So I thought about doing like a kind of policy show, a more generalized bubble of like what's going on maybe politically or geopolitically on Thursdays and then using the Saturday block for, you know, super technical news, because what I've discovered is that the lion's share of AI news gets dumped out on Thursday and Friday. So it's perfect for a weekend show. So I, I could really nuke, you know, a tech audience on Saturday, like just blow up, you know, it'd be great. And then on Thursday, kind of bring the capture around, 
you know, like the border and and the you know narco dramas and things that are actually happening there um sometimes there will be a breakout of news just just a weekend breakout of news on on some of the other national issues that's just what happens but so far as i'm tracking it like the ai stuff and technical privacy mass surveillance that gets really thick towards the end of the week and then <clears throat> i think what is going on is they really want people to sit around and think about it and meditate on what to do chew on it over their weekend you know kind of read the long form and kind of geek out over it and go Wah. i'm chewing on ai and what it does and that sort of thing so <clears throat> there is a threat scape and you know, there, there are people who are developing think tanks and think tank processes. And, you know, finally, there's another, <clears throat> excuse me, emergence of another libertarian think tank around technical AI policy, which is something that, you know, Politico looked at. It's like the only substack that's, you know, on their radar for now. You know, there's a, there's must be. I don't know, 50 to 100 AI dedicated blogs on Substack. Um, I can't pay attention to all of them. I'm kind of, that's kind of a subtrack of, of what we do, do here at the Unsanctioned Citizen because of the ray or array of policy that is going to require financial technology or fintech, which is really driving high right now. Lots of younger users um, observing fintech, using fintech, um, but trying trying to drive the elder into a one way street where all is fintech, um, and the financial technology is tough to navigate because if you don't log in, if you're not chronically logged in, or if you're not seamlessly, <clears throat> you know, dialed in from with your universal login, which you shouldn't have, you know, I, mean, I'm, I have so many no-nos when it comes to, to, to security, like to decentralize everything. But for convenience, they just heckle you with all these like, you know, oh, well, you didn't log in. Oh, well, you didn't provide the right connection. Oh, and it takes you a day and a half to deal with something that they put a two day limit on. These are their qualifiers. So they put a two day limit on like, you better rectify this now or and you didn't know what there was a problem and you can't log in. Um. So their terms and conditions, their policies, you know, which they can change in the middle of the night, you know, are super punitive if you don't just jump on it, stay on it and be on it and, and log in and stay on it. And I can't, I don't have that kind of time and I don't want them to have that kind of access to me. Everyone cannot have that level of access to me. I don't even have the capacity for the amount of access that external like platform actors want upon my 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 attention and my my mind span. Ugh. You know, I don't I don't have it. I just there is a limit. You know, I have to feed myself and get away from this desk and there's no no way. No way you're getting in this phone anymore because I bought a dumb phone. I'm sorry, you're out. So now you know, if I use a monetary platform, which I want to keep minimal because the payouts or payoffs are <clears throat> are some, but they're not sufficient enough for the demand upon my life. So I just I just deal with the truculent, inconvenient, you know, heckling of pay platforms like, OK, and then after saying, OK, well, here's the right email. Uh, they, they send me the login block and then I get in 
And then I can say, oh, okay, well, I still don't know what the hell is going on because this this person wants this and I wasn't given any kind of notification because notifications are turned on, but you didn't send me one until, you know, the 11th hour. <clears throat> so now I have to deal with it. So let me break in here with some actual insights that I promised you. I promised you. Um, but there's a debate tonight at 6 p.m. No, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, 7 p.m. Eastern um, with Alex Jones on Rumble on Glenn Greenwald's channel at System Update. So he's going to be moderating the debate. Just go do it. All right. Now that I'm past the plug. Ah, ah, ah. All right. So what's going on right now, which has caused me to be more than attentive to what goes on in Israel is the fact that uh, two things. One, there's a lot of money flowing out of the public coffer to wars we don't fight in or wars we have a few contractors in. Um, and those contractors are very expensive. Uh, missiles and war objects are expensive. And then, of course, the tracking and global intelligence, you know, they bill high for that. Uh, so, I mean, all this all this money going out for all of these things. And, of course, it's, it's difficult to track because they want to put it on a black roger. So it makes me inclined to say, you know, look, if you can't be publicly accountable, just don't do it. Just don't pay for it. If you can't be honest about what where our money is going and what's being done with it, and if you're not going to legit track it, uh, because we're we're subfinancing geopolitical terror throughout the Eastern Bloc, because when they run out of things to sell in Ukraine, they sell our bombs. That's not a new business model. You know, we get into a conflict. We send more objects over there when they run out of money or other things to to make capital so that their civilians can survive and their their government can survive um, to their preferred standard of living for the um, reprobates in charge. They start selling our war objects to other, you know, maybe terrorists, maybe not. You know, in two weeks, I might be a terrorist group. Who knows? We don't keep track of those things enough. So, you know, it, it's an issue. It's a problem. And it's our our problem to worry about. So when I think about the Middle East, I think about foreign dirt where I have no, no real attachment, no real you know, national interest, I think far away, I think permanent warfare, I think this is not my problem. Yet we are always over there and we are always over there. Why? Because someone's threatening Israel. Okay. So, I mean, at some point you have to start looking with a keen eye or just, just a detailed and meticulous eye now, why are we spending so much on this nation state? You know, w without all the, the Zionist dogma, which I'm not attached to either, you know, and it's it's annoying because through my life, you know, I bumped around in these, these um, metropolises. And at one point, because I declared as a, native person, you know, I'm not really attached to what goes on in Israel. I was, I was accused of killing, killing Jews. And I'm like, how is that even possible? I have killed no one and I had to assert that. And had to, had, those words had to clear my throat. Like I have killed no one. And for this, I was kicked out of an office in LA. So anyways, Zionism is a 
a belief system. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I'm not particularly attached. I don't have any, any aims there. There's no goals. It's like, it's like Jainism or, um, you know, being, being a Muslim in, in Indonesia, you know, it's just, it's just another belief system to me, you know, politicized belief system with religious, uh, attachments. Now, what I've learned in the last, I don't know, two, three weeks is that there's a, there's a subsect of, of, um, of Zionism, which by itself isn't necessarily, you know, bad or good. It, it is just kind of a nationalist belief system, um, to the entitlement of the state of Israel. Like it, it, do, it doesn't self-actualize without you saying it, it, it is there. I have to believe that Israel exists apparently in order for it to exist. Like they don't, they don't have like an independent, you know, like I believe in myself and that that's the way it is. You know, Israel's here on the planet. We're a tribe. We're an ancient people, you know, no, they, they need external validation from everyone else in order to exist, which is such a curious and weird thing for me. Because I have never had to have that. I have never had to grab people by the shoulders and demand that they commit to my existence. It's weird. It's mental. But that's how they roll. Now, there is a subset of this belief system in Zionism called Kahanism. And when I picked up the Wikipedia article on Kahanism, it turns out that the Jewish Knesset, like, banned them, like, like shunned them from, from governing for a, a long time because they were terrorists. You know, they were extreme Zionist, you know, perpetrators of, of direct violence. And their mission, part of their mission statement is to wipe out anyone in Palestine, period. I'm like, wait a minute. This is the poison pill. It turns out that six seats in the, in the Israeli Knesset belong now to Kahanist. And the only reason why Bibi Netanyahu is where he is today is because they batted, the Kahanist votes batted him over the net and he stays Perma president of, of Israel. I mean, I've seen so many protests. I mean, the throngs of people who flood the streets against Bibi Netanyahu, yet they still have Bibi Netanyahu. It, it's so weird to me. Like, how did this happen to you? You know, plus they are struggling with, with all forms of authoritarianism over there. They, they don't have, they have not embraced Israel has not embraced the Western classical liberal ideals. The only, the only Jewish people that I know of who may also have dual citizenship, who are not a part of an autocratic government, are, are people who, who are academics here in America who embrace civil libertarianism. They, they are come from Western uh, classical liberal schools. And these are people who believe in, you know, freedom of speech and, you know, principles of, of criminal justice where you, you, you're innocent until proven guilty. You need to be examined as innocent until they can absolutely prove that you are guilty you face your accuser, meaning like if there is an accusation leveraged against you, it can't just be this, this hidden, hidden figure with an iron bat in a sleeve that gets to beat the crap out of your reputation and then go hide in the dark. No, you get to face your accuser in a court. So... There are many things in our government operating in our government right now that have nothing to do with the originalist 
constitutionalist type of government where you do things like face your accuser because we have hidden Kafkan courts now. You know, these these FISC courts, the Fisk courts, all these closed chambers where national security and states privilege cannot be um, challenged or examined. You know, those things are hijacking tools for your liberty and they sustain themselves um, because of this thing called precedent. And I think there's a point where the U.S. Constitution and the law itself has supremacy over precedent. That's my gut feeling there. I'm not a lawyer or a judge, but those things shall have supremacy over precedent. So the national security state has weaseled their weaseledness um, over, over the years to allow for these other things. Let me, let me go back to the Kahanist um, architecture over there and autocrat Israel. So Israel's government has like two autocratic, you know, like just like we have a uniparty over here, they kind of have a uniparty over there. Um, you know, they've got kind of like the communist, you know, super leftist kibbutz arm. You know, they're, they're not pro-freedom. You know, they're pro-leftist pro commun communitarians. They're like the ultra-left progressives that you get in New York and in the, you know, the coastal regions. And, you know, it's, it's not different. It just isn't. And then, of course, you get... Um, you get the neocons, which are, you know, the, the war party, you know, super energized Hillary global Democrats. They're, they're very similar. And then, you know, the, the right wing, which, you know, the, that resembles, you know, they're in there, but they kind of blend with the neocons because they, they have universal. They're like the Tom Cottons with less uh, constitutional mores. Think of, think of an Israeli Tom Cotton if there was no constitution and and where that would go. Or Lindsey Graham, period. Just Lindsey Graham. And so if, if that's the case, that's really weird. You know, they've got two... There's, not, there's no Western classical liber, liberalism that, that kind of emulates the liberties of the United States. You know, it's all like one dictator to another. There's a communist dictator next to a fascist dictator next, next to a neocon, neocon fascist dictator. They're all dictators. Okay. And they're in constant war over this thong of land, you know, called the Gaza strip, you know, and now all of a sudden after 50 years of, you know, perpetual, I'm going to throw bombs this month. And the next month, you know, the calendar of bombs, I'm just going to call it the calendar of bombs. Oh, well, you know, I think June wasn't had no bombs. And, and so all you see for, for the calendar date of June is like settled sand. And then, of course, you know, July happens and then it's like, OK, well, it's kids. It's, it's pictures of kids throwing rocks, you know, from the other side and showing their ass. Okay, and that, that's July's calendar for the Israeli-Palestine conflict. You know, it's just it's just never ends. I don't even know what we're doing there. They can end it. But yet we're involved somehow because October 7th, okay. And hostages. Ha, that's the key. The hostages. And the salivating prospect of, an, of a war with Iran and China with hidden, hidden tentacles. You know, this is irresistible for the war class who they're, they're constantly edging, itching, grabbing, wanting. They're like a blood death cult. They never stop, man. And they just keep going. And, and I don't, think we have the money to keep this 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 addiction 
going anymore. We, we didn't have it 10 years ago yet. Afghanistan. So I don't think we owe them any special favors. I think they need to go to rehab and then we need to do financial um, redirect. So that's what I have for you on that. Is that you've got an authoritarian government, Foursquare, and it's been put over the lip by a bunch of totally homicidal terrorist maniacs minority. There is a six-seat minority that is keeping Bibi Netanyahu in power, and when they turn the screws, it looks like kill everyone in Palestine. So if you hear the words genocide, I want you to point at the Kahanis clan and start talking at that. Because I'm actually pretty tired of sending money over there for another war. I'm tired of, of Ukraine. Like, oh, so tired. So tired. You know, ah, we're the Nazis. I'm a Nazi. You're a Nazi. Everybody over here, if you speak against Zelensky, oh, uh, you're, 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 uh, you're facilitating Russian, Russian mob boss Putin. And I'm thinking, ah, uh, but you employ Nazis. We're sending money over there to literally employ Nazis. They're actual Nazi, Euro, European Nazis. And we're not supposed to be in the business of this, like, ever. Once that one got out, uh, there was more hesitation to use the funds to do this. So, I think enough passage of time has passed where we can start looking at the money and start looking at the true actions of a thing and start saying no to things in our own general self-interest. It's okay. It's healthy. Okay, I'll give you another example. Remember on 9-11, you know, everything was very general and very broad for Islamic terrorism. But then it started getting whittled down to, you know, the Saudis, and then it was the Saudi royals. And then it was like, not quite. No, no, you got a micro target. Okay, now it's the Wahhabist supported by some Saudi royals. Okay. And this is years deep into bombs and conflict and our soldiers getting blow up, blown up and sent back home with no legs and one eye and, you know, on and on and on. And more bombs... You know, more supervision of oil fields, more things I don't want to talk about because they are torture and, you know, torture masked as heroism. You know, subversion of, of Americans' rights, subver subversion of legitimate Muslim rights, you know, to, to practice their free, free association and their free religion. You know, the weapon, weaponization of informants and informancy so we could create a Stasi government here in the United States. All this is terrible. Okay? But this is what they used. And the true facts were it was a Wahhabist clan. So I'm going to fast forward and say the problem actors, the, the pee in your mattress, princess, the turd in your punch bowl, Kahanis, six seats, you know, leverage favors, do what you got to do. Tell BB, you know, we don't want anything to do with your terrorists that your own government rejected. Because they're, they're the ones prop propelling this. They're propelling the policy, go kill them all. This is not our, our business, but we're sending a lot of money and bombs over there. So maybe we just should and might. Okay. Because I am sick of things like how this comes back to me. The blowback for me looks like free speech limitations and let's get a Nazi finder feature on Substack. 
That's how it comes back to kick me in the ass. And I didn't do anything except for pay my taxes. So, Kahanist, go get them. I don't want neocons embedded in Department of Homeland Security to start drawing up CISA documents like I'm a cyber terrorist, a threat, because they can subjectively decide if I'm a Nazi using ADL or the Anti-Defamation League language today. They want me to shut up about the war. Shut up about the war. I don't owe you any allegiance. I am not an Israeli citizen. And if I'm done with dual nationals inserting their agenda to try to shut me up when I have real constitutional rights. I, I got so pissed, I left a nice big comment on Robert Malone's blog when he started talking about this. I'm done. I am done with this crap. So it's been 51 minutes. You know, I really want to hear from you about this. Dump your comments in the link section. I'll I'll uh, I'll lay it out for you. But this has been the unsanctioned citizen. If I'm gonna lay my throat on the on the railroad tracks and talk about something that I know is relevant, this is it. I have no animus, no agenda, no uh, stake in the game other than my own voice and my own personal liberties. You know, I'm not against Israel. I never said they didn't exist. You know, I know they exist. So this isn't about what I believe. They'll exist if I get if I get whacked in the street tomorrow. That's not my job. It's not my job to maintain the existence of Israel. That's a cult. I'm an American citizen. It's my job to take care of my own voice and make sure I have a clean bill of health here in America. Okay? There are limits. There are limits to what you can demand of a woman in Texas. And that is it. Don't come over here and try to cut my mic. Because you need me to be a Nazi today. Not happening. So, round up your dogs and go get your Kahanist. This has been Sheila Dean for the Unsanctioned Citizen. Everyone has power, especially you. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access Unsanctioned Citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio podcasts, and call in. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.